You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Now that free agency is in the rearview mirror and we are a month away from the draft, we have a couple experts to get Broncos country in the mood and make Ian and me sound a little smarter. We're not going to have to plop it out there and expect it to perform. No, we are not. Joining us are MHR's own Joe Rolls, at JoeRow underscore NFL on Twitter, and Trevor Sykema of the Draft Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. Check out his work on thedraftnetwork.com at draftnetworkllc or check out his stuff at Pewter Report for Tampa Bay Buccaneers news. Welcome, fellas. Um, oh, it's good to be with you guys. Yeah. So um, we're going to we're gonna talk a little bit of um, – is it is it draft season? Is that fair to say? <laughs> you know, my calendar and my limited free time says that it is draft season, that we're getting closer and closer to draft weekend, yes. So is that so – well, I'm just Before curious. we jump into the Broncos, I, I was going to ask you, how much time do you devote a day to draft stuff, whether it's for the draft network, um, doing podcasts? How much time do you devote a day to the draft? Well, I'll. Uh, so today is what well, I don't even know what day it is. What is it? Tuesday. Um, that probably should tell you everything you knew under there. But I'll just tell you today I woke up at 730, sat at my desk at eight o'clock to start to write an article and I will not leave my desk until about 12.30 tonight after I do a Twitch stream. Uh, basically, everywhere in between, I'm either writing an article, doing a podcast, focusing on um, some ways to promote the draft show, the social media, everything like that. So I, it is truly a full day almost every single day from about when the combine ends to when draft weekend comes around. I'm basically locked to my computer chair uh, as a prisoner. But, uh, you know, here we are. What are some of the things that you and, and John Ledyard uh, have coming up? Because I, I know you have a podcast coming up on Tuesday night with John that you'll do on Twitch. Uh, what are some of the things that uh, Broncos fans can expect and draft fans can expect from you guys over the next couple of weeks? No, yeah, man, this, this is a really fun time, actually. So right now, John and I, we do the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, part of the Locked On Draft Network. We do that five days a week, Monday through Friday. Um, right now, we're going through – Position by position, given an overview of the strengths and weaknesses of every single position of this class, talking about who you might take at the top if you need one, middle rounds, maybe end of the draft, all that kinds of stuff. We're going through all the positions. And then starting in April, we're doing this really cool thing. We did this last year. People seem to really love it, where we're having a guest on. Uh, we're doing almost like a guest mock draft, where we will have a guest on every single show, and it will be a – beat reporter or a TV reporter or somebody who covers the team really, really well that will be picking for every team. So for example, you know, at number one, we're going to have somebody on who writes for the Arizona Cardinals and we're going to have that person make the pick for who they think that the Cardinals are actually going to select. And we're going to go through down through the whole draft. And actually that gives us a really good idea of, Who's actually who teams are actually considering outside of national narratives that may not be as plugged in as we can be, and we're doing that for every single pick. So at the end of it, we really get a realistic view of hey, what teams might be thinking, what teams might be looking at in terms of trading up or down, or what positions they're really thinking about. So it's really cool. 
not just for fans of the teams of the guests that we have on, but for example, you know, you're talking about Broncos fans. They get to learn about what all the teams are are really thinking about doing from people who cover it the best all around them. So whether they want to move up, whether they're hoping a prospect drops to them, whether whatever it is with the draft. And so it's been really great insight. I think every single episode, no matter who you're a team or you're a fan of. And um, I'm really looking forward to get that kicked off because that was a real fun thing to do last year and should be a, another good success this year. Cool. Yeah, it sounds like you you are you sound like an accountant during tax season, which unfortunately for accountants, it's also tax season. <laughs> Busy man. No, it's about right. About right. But I, as we said before the show, I uh, I was told there would be no math. So right. Well. Um, I'm not going to do account work, but I'll stick to draft work for sure. We'll take that. And then, Joe, you're you're pretty busy as well. You've got um, kind of a roundtable that you put together for Mile High Report that we're we're going to be looking at. Yep. Uh, just kind of getting an idea of what everyone else is kind of hoping for with the Broncos. Um, that, and then kind of trying to break down Daniel Jones. I'm very late in the game, so definitely appreciate your thoughts on that. Uh, and then Justin Hollins, who the Broncos definitely showed interest in. They invited for a visit today, so that's cool. Uh, I've been very high on Hollins for a while. Sure. You just want me to uh, want me to start talking about uh, Jones first? You want me to start with him? I mean, yeah, definitely. I, I hate him. So if you can try and send him, <laughs> if you can try and get me off the ledge with it, because watching him on tape, it kind of hurts your eyes. Uh, uh, I mean, basically, after 15 yards, you can't, he's not consistent at all. Yeah. Um, I'm actually not going to talk you off the ledge. I'm actually going to yell at you to jump. So uh, I don't I don't know how much help I'm going to be for you there. But no, I, I, I took a look at Daniel Jones actually really early in the season when he was coming back from from that shoulder surgery he had. And somebody put him on my radar because they're like, hey, man, you got to look at this kid. You know, Dave Cook of pedigree of a quarterback coming from Duke. Um, tough as nails. I mean, came out back from surgery like nine days after he had surgery and was already practicing with the team. And this is on a quarterback who had surgery on his shoulder. So really tough kid had the intangibles in that regard. And I took a look at him and I saw things too like, I mean, there's plays that he can make with his legs. He can get the ball down the field sometimes, but he's not this quarterback that people were talking about as a first round pick. He's just not going to be that guy. And I think the biggest reason for that is because of his arm strength. And there's a difference between ball speed and distance. And that's really the thing that stands out to me with Daniel Jones because people all say, okay, well, I don't really trust Daniel Jones' arm strength. And that goes into what you were talking about there with accuracy beyond, say, 15, 20 yards. People can show me clips of Daniel Jones hitting passes, say, even 40, 50, 55 yep. yards down the field. Yep. And they can show those to me but I'll look at them and I'll be like, no, no, no. But look at the trajectory of the ball. This dude's leaning back. He's basically a trebuchet throwing this thing, an air ball, trying to time it with his receivers instead of truly showing a good NFL arm where you can, you know, take a play action, do a five-step step drop, power off that back foot, and fire a pass 40, 50 yards down the field. That's just not Daniel Jones. And once you kind of – break that glass in your head and you get to look at him then from that respect you could say okay this guy's decently accurate from within 15 yards but really beyond the field pushing the ball down the field and that's what you're gonna pick in a quarterback in the first round if you're considering a guy like that they've got to be able to naturally push the ball down the field and i just don't think daniel jones does it well enough there are things that he can do well i think from a mental processing standpoint where sometimes you know he'll recognize that good things in coverage He'll see things in the pre-snap, and it happens in flashes. 
but he's not like this brilliant signal caller before the play happens. And when you combine that with the fact that the arm is just not what it seems to be on some of these deeper passes for that reason, I, I've, I've never understood the first round talk. I really haven't. And so that's kind of where I am with Daniel Jones. That's where I am too. My biggest fear is that Elway will fall in love with him because he's tall and he's big. <laughs> Elway, but, John Elway cannot quit the talls, if you will. And so it's something that has really, really uh, been on it. Because, I mean, you look at Flacco and you look at like everyone's talking about how he likes Flacco, uh, how he can throw it down the field. And Jones doesn't bring that, so he doesn't really fit the same idea. Mm-hmm. And if that's what's important for the new offense, it, it doesn't seem like a good fit. The only thing he really do is he, he'll be able to roll out. Right. So. But, I mean, mobility. And actually, you know, we, we talk about pro style and all this kinds of stuff. You know, having a traditional quarterback, a guy who plays from the pocket. But I will say that, you know, I was at the Combine this year, and more coaches than I even thought were going to be the case. For example, you know, Pat Shermer for in uh, – um, for the Giants um, and Marone for Jacksonville, these are two guys who you kind of look at the, the offenses that they have and the quarterbacks they have, and you think, okay, these are these are play from the pocket offenses. And both of those guys emphasized having a quarterback who can extend plays and make plays with their legs. And I was thinking, I was thinking, man, if these two guys are saying that, then truly, I think the NFL and head coaches around the NFL are realizing that you've got to have a, a quarterback with some mobility in there to, to really bring an offense to life, I think, in this new age of NFL, this, this passing, the this spread offense, all this kinds of stuff. So not saying that playing from the pocket is, is not needed. It certainly is. But to your point there, I think you're going to see head coaches take that trait of a quarterback and emphasize it more now than they ever have before to where they could go look at a guy like Daniel Jones and go, okay, well, he, maybe he doesn't have the greatest arm, but he can make plays with his legs. And before you might go, okay, well, that doesn't make up for the arm. I don't really care about that. But now you might have some coaches saying maybe it does make up for the arm. Maybe he is a guy that we can work with. So maybe the narrative is changing a little bit with quarterbacks, and perhaps Elway is a guy who uh, who might believe that. You know, it's, so it's, I, it's interesting you bring that up, though. I, I do want not to jump to the defense of John Elway, but I think he is evolving. And the reason I say that is I think he was just as in love with with Baker Mayfield as, as Cleveland was last year, he just sure. knew there was no way he was going to be able to trade up and get him. And so he just, you know, he just sat at five and we're very happy to have Bradley Chubb as a Denver Bronco. At least I think some of us, are. I am, he's, I'm happy he's there. Well, anytime a Chubb falls to number five, you have to grab it. Yeah. That was a setup. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I was set up, but no, I, I, I get, I get your point about the tall quarterbacks, Joe. I, I think that that's been his MO. I mean, Brock Osweiler and Paxton Lynch aside, uh, he likes guys that have a certain amount of height, but I think he's willing to adjust that for a quarterback that fits what he likes in a quarterback. And, and Baker Mayfield was, he had the right attitude. He, he was mobile. He had a good arm. He was, he was the, the complete package. I mean, we, we last year were going round and round and round about how much we liked Baker Mayfield mm-hmm. I, this year. I don't, I guess when we start to talk about quarterbacks, I see absolutely zero quarterbacks that give me the feels the way that Baker Mayfield did in this draft. And I, I would love to hear what you think, because, uh, like Drew Locke tends to be the one that's kind of linked to the Broncos the most. Right. He definitely seems to have like the kind of tools that are the most exciting, that kind of thing. But he's also, he looks like a giant project. Mm-hmm. 
No, yeah, I, there, there are certainly things to work out with Drew Locke. I think what gives me a lot more hope for a guy like, say, Locke than um, someone like Daniel Jones would be the fact that uh, I think that Locke's arm is certainly better. Uh, I yeah. think Locke has has one of the best arms in the class. Him and him and Kyler, I think, have probably the two best arms in the class. But then also, I was pretty down on Drew Locke really until the Senior Bowl, and I got to uh, see him sit down an interview and hear him talk about what he did this year to improve himself as a quarterback and what he knows he still has to do to get better. And you just do not hear that from a lot of guys. And Drew Locke, after talking to him, I know he's got some work to do, but I kind of had faith that with the right coaching that this guy was going to be receptive to it. He was going to be able to figure out. He was going to be able to fix those lower body mechanics, some of the lazy tendencies that he has. Um, that that allow balls to sail on him when they know that they shouldn't and really get the most out of his arm. And so I, I do think that Drew Locke, he makes sense for Denver. I, I think that he does. Now, you can look at that in a vacuum of this class because you know, we talked about this a little bit before we, we, we recorded the podcast, but you're, I feel like a lot of teams and a lot of people might be looking at this draft class and already looking to maybe the next one or the one after that, you know, where Justin Herbert and Tua are in the next quarterback group. Trevor Lawrence comes up in the next one. I think that all three of those guys might be QB ones in this current class. And so anytime, anytime you have that uh, in the back of your mind, you go, well, I mean, do I really want to spend a, you know, a top 10 pick on a guy that I might not believe in? So there's certainly that mindset that you might have to overcome with the Broncos and with any team really picking a quarterback in this class that's not Kyler Murray. Uh, so I, that's why I think there's a lot of back and forth between what they should actually do, whether they should really be considering Drew Locke. But, I mean, if I'm the Broncos, I'm actually okay with Drew Locke. I'm really, I really am. Now, certainly, would you like to trade back and still get a, in a quarterback because you don't think he's as good as maybe, say, Josh Rosen, who went ten last year? That you know they're, they're being picked at identical spots. Obviously, you'd pick a guy like Josh Rosen over a guy like Drew Locke, which kind of brings into a tangent of, hey, if Rosen's on the table, why are some yep. other teams not really <laughs> picking up the phone doing everything that too. they can? See, that was something. Giants fan, I put out a, I put out an article last week, and I, I said, here's some trades that should really happen. And I said, one of the trades, I said that number six for the Giants, they should trade it for Rosen if they can. And Giants fans kind of blew up at me. They're like, oh, you don't need to trade the number six pick for Rosen. Look, look, look. I'm not saying you start negotiations with your top pick, but I am saying that if you are a team that needs a quarterback, yep. Why would you not think that trading your first round pick for Josh Rosen isn't the right move? Now, if you can get him for less, awesome, great. Obviously, you start negotiations a lot less. But for the Giants, if they want a quarterback, for the Broncos, if they want a quarterback, for Miami, for Washington, if any of them want a quarterback, you're not going to get anybody more valuable than Josh Rosen for your first round pick. So why don't you consider it? You know, so that's a that's a whole nother tangent there, but all that oh, to go no, ahead and say that that Drew Locke, I do think, is is a, a decent option for Denver if he does end up being the pick. So what do you think the Broncos will and should do with their number 10 pick? It's <sighs> a great question, isn't it? I honestly think that that they should probably that they should probably wait. That they should probably wait to get a quarterback. I mean, if they, they want to pick one on day two, they can, but 
Uh, John Ledger, my co-host, is often the first one to say, hey, if you're not taking a quarterback in the first round, why are you taking him one at all? Just because you need to be all in on one if you get one. But I actually like the idea of them picking um, a defensive line player. Christian Wilkins is a guy that I really like. If Jeffrey Simmons was healthy, he'd be, I think, good for him because they do have some interior defensive line needs. They'll need linebacker now at this point um, to go next to uh, to who is it? Todd Davis. Todd yeah. Davis um, and Josie Jewell are the two yeah, middle so, linebackers I mean, right now. Yeah, Josie Jewell. You could definitely upgrade him with athleticism. So I mean, guys like Devin White, Devin Bush could be on the board there at ten. I think that they would be better served, even though quarterback is still a big need. They would be better served getting one of those guys and potentially waiting for next year to see how it all plans out because. You never want to be mediocre, right? And that that like mediocrity is the worst thing that you could be in the NFL. But I feel like the Broncos are in sort of this transition period with the different parts of their roster where they're young here, but they're older here. They're replacing this spot. They're waiting for this one. And so you got they've got to be able to, I think, form their window. Because nobody's the Patriots. The Patriots are such an anomaly of what they're going to do, of how they've had success for so long. You can never plan on this. Most teams, most mere mortal teams, uh, have to pick these windows to win, and you have to be able to set that up with some of your bigger contracts. And so when I look at the Broncos and when I think of you know that question there, what should they do at 10? I'm not so sure they have it set up right now for the window that they want to have to win for them to pick a quarterback at number 10. Maybe it gets accelerated if they pick the right one, certainly. And so I guess you could take a swing at it. But I think they might be better served picking a guy like, you know, if Ed Oliver is there at 10. Um, like I said, if Christian Wilkins is there at 10. Either of yeah. the uh, either of the Devons, if they're there for linebacker, if that's what you want to do. I think that they would probably be better served going that direction. That would be my that would be my take. Is there a chance that Ed Oliver or even Quinnen Williams can fall to 10? If Quinn Williams falls to ten, we're doing something wrong. Um, <laughs> we're doing we're doing something wrong here. Uh, somebody needs to pick up the phone and and, and hire me. Um, but no, I, I, I've got to I've got to think Quinnen. There's no chance that he makes it. I have to believe that in my heart of hearts that there's no way that he makes it. That's right, Oliver. Man. Oliver, I will say the chance is probably less than fifty percent. But because of the way that I've heard people talk about him, like, oh, you know, he's getting work at linebacker. He's getting work, you know, at, at five tech. What do you do with it? Is he too small? Did he really play at the weight that he showed up at at the combine? There is more doubt surrounding Ed Oliver that makes me think there is a chance that he could be there at number 10, though I do still think it's below 50%. I, I wouldn't even want to say, you know, Quinnen would be available and get Broncos fans' hopes up because uh, that also means that the Buccaneers would have passed on him, which would probably make me throw my computer out the window. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so that's kind of where I am with that. I, I, and I don't know how much you've watched, uh, like, Fangio last year, but how do you feel about Ed Oliver's fit in the Bear, like the Bears-style defense? Because, like, no. when I've watched it, I feel like he'd fit fine because yeah. you're in the nickel so much. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're totally fine. I, th- I think you saw a lot of a lot of pass rush disruption from Fangio when he was there last year, and I think yeah. that's the, that's the big selling point for Ed Oliver, right? He's going to he's going to jump gaps. He's going to use that first step explosiveness to truly get to the quarterback, disrupt that center, disrupt that interior, force the quarterback off of his drop, get him out of the pocket, let your edge rushers and your nickel guys, your contained players, make something happen there, and truly just letting pressure do its thing. 
that all started for the Bears really up front. I know they had Khalil Mack, and that certainly helps when you have a guy like that. But, you know, there's there's guys like that in Denver too. You know, you talked about Chubb. You talked about Von Miller. Those guys exist there. So when you pair them with then an interior guy um, like what they had in Chicago last year, now you're talking about a total pressure package of almost any down and distance you could be uh, dictating what happens at the line of scrimmage. And so, no, I, I don't think certain coaches, I think, have tendencies with different guys, especially when you're talking about who might be a tweener via <laughs> size and length and things like that. But I got no doubts that Fangio would have uh, know exactly what to do with that Oliver. So, I mean, if he gets there, he'd be a great pick. So, I guess my question that sort of comes off of that is the fact that the draft to me, especially first round picks, those are very immediate, right? Those are guys who should have an impact yeah. on your team that very next year. So would it make more sense? And I don't know what you think of this. Would it make sense for the Broncos to trade back and start to build capital and maybe start to focus on, like you said, that 2020 or 2021 draft rather than, than worrying about what they come out of the, you know, 2019 draft with because that you know they had a great draft last year at least i th- i think they did I, I i'm not sure what your take on that is mm-hmm. i don't want to say sit this draft out but i almost am saying why not sit this draft out trade back build some capital and and focus on those drafts in the future and and see what you can do because joe flacco isn't the I, at least i don't see him as the fix for the next five years so would that would that make sense to start trading back and, and gaining some draft capital yeah, certainly. I think Elway kind of strikes me as a guy, you know, I, I was at the combine two years ago when uh, somebody asked him the question, they're like, hey, you know, you, you've taken a swing at some quarterbacks and you've missed. And they kind of went on with their question and Elway smiled a little bit and he kind of interrupted him and said, yeah, and I'm going to keep swinging until I get one. And, yep. you know, that's not only a mentality there of getting a quarterback, but it also, to me, talks about a mentality of of being aggressive in this game of acquiring the talent that you need to that doesn't always mean selling the farm to move up sometimes it means taking the smart move and moving back and when I, I look at Denver at 10 it's an interesting spot depending on how this quarterback class falls because you do have two teams directly behind them in Miami and in Washington that need quarterbacks and Miami, I'm not so sure they're going to get very aggressive anymore to move up for a quarterback just because it clearly looks like they're t- they're tanking for uh, a good pick in the 2020 draft. But a team like Washington, I mean, let's say that a guy like Dwayne Haskins or maybe Drew Locke, Helly, maybe even Kyler Murray, I don't know, is still there around that spot. Elway could pick up the phone and really get a decent ransom for any team that might be wanting to move up and pick a quarterback. The same can probably be said for edge rushers as well. As the edge rushers start to go off the border early, you can always find teams that like to come up, get their pass rusher of the future. So that's an option as well. And so all of that to say that I do think that Elway will have a tendency to be a tone setter. I, I guess I can't – I don't want to use the word aggressive because when people think aggressive, they think of only moving up. But I guess I'll say a tone setter in the fact that he wants to move, he wants to go away from every draft thinking, I made the moves – that we needed to make, and I look like I like I look like the GM that, that that made the right moves here. And sometimes that is trading back. And so, depending on who they want, I mean, if there's guys that they have as hard targets, certainly Oliver, perhaps Christian Wilkins. I think people are really going to fall in love with Christian Wilkins, and so he might be there. They might not want to move because that might be a selection that they want. Perhaps they do love Devin White or Devin Bush. I know a lot of teams do. 
So they're kind of honestly in a sweet spot to pick one of those four guys, and it would likely make them happy. But in terms of will they trade back, I think it's all about the price, and I do think that John Elway is a guy who's going to entertain some offers, so perhaps that is the move. So if they if they were to move back in the later half of the the first round, are there any guys that really jump out at you as like good additions that would fit the Broncos' needs? Um, let me pull this up really quick just so I make sure I'm not forgetting yeah. anybody. So I mean, if the needs remain relatively the same, mm-hmm. you're not really trading back if you're thinking about picking a quarterback. I mean, that's just not going to be the if you want a quarterback, you're not going to move backwards for one that's probably just not gonna be the case that's an odd draft strategy if that is one linebacker you know you talk about moving to the back half of the first round linebacker gets pretty non start right away ish if that's a term that i could use once you get after the two devons at the top we thought mac wilson might be the right guy but it appears that and maybe he doesn't – I don't know if he's got his priorities all in the right place to be able to be an impact guy right away. There's some linebackers that you might like, I think, maybe on day two, but not at the end of the draft. And so if the Broncos end up moving back, I think it's going to be in the trenches one way or the other. If they want to invest in interior offensive line spot, they can. But I still think interior defensive line would be their play. At that point, you're looking at maybe like a Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame. Dexter Lawrence probably – they might be able to use a guy who's got – a lot of some speed to work with his size. Um, Charles and many dependent on how you look at him. And then maybe even Jeffrey Simmons. I'm a big advocate of the fact that, Hey, if you draft Jeffrey Simmons at the end of the first round, you get a full year for free because he gets that fifth year option. Yeah. So even if this year where he's recovering from the season, I'm telling you, man, Jeffrey Simmons was like a top five player in college football this year. That dude was good. And this ACL tear it's, it's going to put him back a little bit, but maybe you get him to come in, play uh, play the month of December, get get some NFL time underneath his belt, and then really come back, I think, his sophomore year. And then you've got four years of him under contract then. I think he's going to be a real good player as long as he recovers from that well. And so that's probably – if Denver's moving back, I still think they're looking interior defensive line over anything else just because, again, that'll still be a sweet spot for the position. That'll let you get the most talent for staying in the first round. That's probably the way that I would look at it if, if Denver's moving back. Cool. So um, I'm going to move us back to a quick break uh, so that we can, you know, get this ad out there and then and then we'll come back here in, in just a minute. And we're back after that wonderful ad. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, we're going to we're going to move on a little bit, though. We're kind of at the back half or the back end of, of the first round and, and start to focus on uh, day two and day three a little bit. Ian, you had a question. I think you and Joe both had kind of a similar question. I'll let you take it from there. So one of the guys I think most Broncos fans are intrigued by, mainly because he grew up in Wiggins, Colorado, and he's a Broncos fan, is Kansas State offensive lineman Dalton Risner. So Trevor, is there any way that the Broncos could end up with uh, Risner either in the second round, or would they have to trade back up into the first round to get him? No, I I think that there's a chance. I mean, they pick 41, uh, which is pretty early, they're in the second round. And so I think that there is definitely a chance that the Risner could be uh, on the board there. I love him, man. He, he was, his combine interview was such a treat. Uh, the way that he talked about football. Um, somebody asked him, Hey, you know, why do you love playing offensive line? You know, it's such a, it's such a 
glorious position. You know, you're never getting it. You're never getting any kind of praise. You're taking, you know, if you give up, if you play great for 60 snaps and then give up one sack, you're trash. Uh, it's such a, there, there's such hard scrutiny there and so much hard work that doesn't really get recognized. Um, and Dalton kind of just smiled and he's like, man, I love playing offensive line. He's like, it's my favorite thing in the world to be able to work with, with, with the, the other four guys that are on the line and the tight ends that are next to you and being a cohesive unit and doing something together, really dominating your opponent. And then he, he gave us a quote. He said, something I've tried to live by as an offensive lineman is, is and something that I really take to heart and I enjoy is that there's nothing like moving a man from point A to point B against their will. That's the quote that he gave to us at the combine. And I'm like – there it is. Up, you're. I'm drafting you. That's that's it. I don't know how and I missed so, that, but I'm sold. Yeah. So I mean, he he he's such a great dude, and at the Senior Bowl too. His Senior Bowl is great because it gives you an opportunity to see guys when they're outside of their element. Um, they're playing with guys that they've never played with before. You're, they're they're and especially in the offensive line. You want to see how quickly these guys develop their chemistry. And Dalton Reisner was one of those guys who popped out to me right away as a guy who tried to develop chemistry and did develop chemistry with, you know, say a guy like Chris Lindstrom who was sitting next to, who, who was playing right next to him. And him and Liz, Lindstrom were almost like the bash brothers at the end of the week. You know, they were, they were double teaming guys and putting guys down and giving each other high fives, knocking helmets, all this kinds of stuff. And those are the intangibles that you want to see from an offensive lineman, because you really do have to love what you do to play that position, especially in the NFL with the beating that you take. And so Rice is a guy who's played a lot of different positions. He's played guard. He's played right tackle. Some people think that he could be a center in the NFL. And so, especially for Denver, which is looking for both depth at tackle and starters, potential starters on the interior, I, he would be a fantastic pick for them at 41 uh, if he can if he can make it there. And so, um, yeah, I think that they, I, I would love him in Denver. That'd be great. Getting to, him getting to work with Munchak would be awesome as well. So, That's one of the reasons I was, I'm was i so intrigued by it is because – you mentioned the intangibles that he has and how much he loves football and playing the position, but also working with a guy like Mike Munchak, who just who knows how to coach, but who also was an elite performer when he played on the offensive line. So yep. I it just and because he is a Broncos fan, and I know there's a lot of a lot of people who like Scotty who <laughs> poo-poo all over the local ties, but I I just I, I think that's cool. It just it just adds to the to the fun quote the the fun quotient of it. One one guy that you mentioned that I'm actually interested in too is Chris Lindstrom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've seen him mocked in day two and day like uh, late day two, like into the third round even. But when I watched tape of him, I loved him. Mm-hmm. What, how do you feel about him? Because I've seen him as high like the high second round, and I've seen him as low as the low third round. Yeah. Um... He ain't going third round. <laughs> I didn't think so either. He, he ain't going third round. I don't. I'm not so sure that he's gonna go at the end of the first round just because he'd have to go to either Minnesota, um, who are the teams? I guess Minnesota, Houston. Maybe if teams trade back, they're looking to pick him up. But he's good. The thing about Chris Lidstrom is he doesn't really have a lot of weaknesses to his game, and he's great. And he's like he's great on the hoof, dude. He he is so good uh, playing zone blocking, getting to the outside, moving. And that's one thing. Munchak is such a great coach. And and I was reading Mike Pouncey was was or Marquise Pouncey was talking about uh Munchak as an offensive line coach. And and he said that nobody on the team blocks exactly like the other guy. They all block a little bit different, whether tendencies they have or strengths and weaknesses to their game. And yet Munchak was able to get the most out of them. 
just because of how great he of an offensive line coach he is and how many different techniques he can teach. So to that point, I guess kind of really anybody can can thrive with him as a coach. Chris Lindstrom's more of a zone blocking scheme guy, but he could still thrive in really any system. I think the important thing though is that when Pittsburgh, when he was there, Pittsburgh tried to give him athletes, guys that could really move, and then he developed the power and the leverage. Uh, leverage techniques around them and the tendencies that made them good all around offensive linemen outside of just being good athletes. And so Litchrum, sure. If he's there at 41, he'd also be a great choice because I think he can play a multitude of spots in the interior offensive line and uh, he can really help the Broncos out. Yeah. No, like basically every time I ever run your guys' mock machine, if Risner's gone, Litchrum's my guy to end the second round. Yeah, I, no, it'd be a I great pick. You're kind of getting essentially you're getting a round one guard because they fall because of their positional value. Yep. A yep. lot of weight. Yep. So uh so if Denver doesn't take a tight end in the first round, who else kind of jumps out at you? Because it's a de- it's a very glaring need for them. Yeah, there's a couple of guys. Allerman. Um you talked about Josh Oliver a little bit. I know I know yep. that you talked about him and the Broncos have some interest in him. Oliver's probably a guy who's gonna go round three or four. So that I mean, that pretty much lines up with the fact that if they wanted to go interior defensive line round one, perhaps on the offensive line in round two, get yourself a tight end in round three. I think that rounds three or four, I think that gives you some flexibility there. Oliver, obviously a much more of a receiving weapon than a blocking guy, but uh, you can pair him with tons of different players. Dawson Knox, another guy that I'm really high on, did not get a lot of work at Miss uh, at Ole Miss, but hey, neither did really Demarcus Lodge or even DK Metcalf, and so it was an offense that we're learning was clearly based around A.J. Brown and that they were just going to run through him no matter what. I mean, there's plays where Dawson Knox is. <laughs> there ain't a guy within five feet of him, basically all around him, and they're just not even looking his way. They're not even throwing him the ball. And so I think that Knox is going to be a much better pro, much more productive pro than he was at the college level. Foster Moreau from LSU, another guy, didn't get a lot of work when he was at LSU, but kind of proven here in this this offseason, this draft season, through the combine and the all-star events that he's participated in, that the kid can play. So I think that uh, there, there's something there to him. And then I'll get – I got it. John will get mad at me, my co-host on the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, if I don't talk about Cahale Warren, the guy from San Diego State. He's a big I, dude who can – I mean, he can block. He's got some receiving ability to him, and he seems to be really flying under the radar. So, boy, if you can get Cahale Warren, if, if the Broncos haven't picked a tight end yet and they're picking – rounds four or five and they can get warning that'd be a pretty nice steal as well so they might even double dip at tight end who knows it's a pretty decent class where you can identify uh areas where you can really uh, specify what you want out of each role so like oliver clearly a wide receiver like a uh, almost like a big wide receiver guy clearly a, a guy who wins in the passing game hail warring's a dude who can really block his butt off and so like if you had both of those guys added both of those guys they're not taken away from each other, right? They're just expanding what you could possibly do in the offense and expanding the kind of plays that you could run, um, how you could run play action off of them. Give, make sure the defenses have to stay honest to everything that you're doing. And so, boy, I, as tight ends have developed in the NFL, I'm almost sitting here thinking you can never have too many. You can never have too many even specific guys that really help out a scheme. And so the Broncos could potentially be a team that maybe they want to pick more than one in there. What are some day three guys and positions you think the Broncos may have to keep an eye on in terms of like those fifth to, to seventh round picks? Sure. I think that, uh, you know, certainly we, we've talked about this a little bit here with anytime that you have a really great position coach 
that's kind of where you want to put your chips in, right? If you've got to pick these guys later in the draft that obviously need some development to them, that's where you want to go. So I think anywhere on the offensive line, we talked about earlier, them needing, uh, they'll probably need a swing tackle, a backup tackle, and then as well as um, maybe one or two interior players to really round out that depth chart on the offensive line. Those are some positions where even if you might have picked one in the second round or the first round or whatever it is, you can afford to do something like that because you have an, an elite position coach who could truly develop them the most. And so that's where I think that – and then edge and, and defensive tackle. So I guess I would just say that on both trenches, you've got some deep guys in both areas. I think you've got great coaches in both areas for the Broncos to where I'd fill some other needs before that. And once you get to, hey, we're really taking chances – on these guys at these positions, allow your coaching staff to be the ones to make the most out of those late picks. You don't just want to blindly go, nah, we'll pick this guy, high ceiling, maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't. Be precise about what you're doing. Be smart about what you're doing. Start picking these guys for a reason. And so that's why at Broncos, among other teams, because they have the correct coaching staff in both of those areas, I could really see them double dipping into that offensive and defensive line as we get late into day three because they have the coaching staff to be able to develop them. And like you talked about earlier, develop a, a really great class all around, not just the right picks at the top, but the right picks at the bottom too that turn into those guys that fill out your roster and could be spot starters and things like that. Cool. Trevor, can we just say thank you very quickly? Th Trevor Sikkim of the, the Draft Network. Where's the, the best place to follow the stuff that you're doing online so that uh, people who are listening can can take a look at what you got going on? Sure, yeah. Uh, at Tampa Bay Trey, T-R-E on Twitter, is where you can find uh, all of my work and also all the other tomfoolery that I do on social media. Um, try to Good keep it pretty light tweet. on there. <laughs> I try to keep it pretty light on there. You know, it's more than just – uh, football, helping people enjoy it no matter what. And so there, the draftnetwork.com obviously is where a lot of the draft stuff go. And then anytime I ever do Tampa Bay Buccaneers stuff, it's over at peterreport.com. And so those are probably the, the main places where everybody can find me. How did you come up with that pinned tweet that you have of the Philip Rivers short video? You know, it's uh, a lot of these things just, they come to me in the moment. You know, I just, I see, I see the video. I think of the caption. I got to let the people know gotta let the people know when i when i see something like that so that one was pretty uh that one was pretty off the top of my head i thought it was I, it made me laugh and so i figured i'd share it with everybody cool and joe did you think it would did you think it would blow up the way that it did uh i had a feeling it would do decently well but it did a lot better than i thought it was going to so it seemed like people people got a good laugh out of it which is always good anytime you can laugh at philip rivers i think is is just fine <laughs> joe you got what, what do you got coming out on uh, mile high report um before we say goodbye here yep uh well i gotta file a report on daniel jones so god help me and then uh i'm moving on to justin holland's next because denver's kind of showing interest in him so hopefully cool. that one kind of helps me wash out my eyes all right and keep an eye out for the uh the round table that should be coming out as well right yep definitely all right joe appreciate it trevor appreciate it uh anytime you want to come back on we'd love to have you guys yeah guys no i had a blast thanks thanks trevor You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.